crowded planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futon, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. Hey there, friends. Curdy Clammerwood here. Welcome back to Space Croutons, podcasting from Van Helsing, the mobile studio I built in the back of an old Appalachian dental examination van parked in an ever-changing secret location somewhere in the great wide world. Well, as we begin podcast number three, I just want to say thanks to you listeners who took my request to heart and, and contacted us with your stories. And as my dad used to say, man, there are some really twisted tales out there, and I don't just mean on the squirrels. So, okay. I'm really buzzing tonight because we have a live guest with us in the studio with a story that I think you are going to want to hear. For our purposes, we'll call him Joe, because that's his real name. <laughs> he contacted us with his story, and after vetting it with him, well, can't be too careful, right? I drove for three days and nights to reach our agreed-upon secret meeting site to conduct this interview and hear about what he experienced in his own words. Oh, that sounds like him now. Tell you what, while we get him all set up, take a few to listen to a message from one of our sponsors. It's the Skinnies from their album That's Why They Call It a Day Job with Lightning in a Bottle. We all need a miracle Like lightning in a bottle To reinvigorate our faith In what we didn't know we know We want a chance to just believe We're better than we think we are To save the heart And rescue Rescue the soul Just who is dead and who is blessed And who's to blame For making such a mess Why glorify The drive of greed When there are so many others Living in such need And we're waiting on a miracle like lightning in a bottle To reinvigorate our faith In what we didn't know we know We want a chance to just believe We're better than we think we are To save the heart And rescue Rescue the soul And the powerful, the lazy, the arrogant and crazy Still have lives worth living and I bet sleep well at night The different and the bold, those with another hand to hold Also slumber safely to awaken at first light Just who is sure? And who's in doubt And who can really know Just what it's all about How many 
supposed to be. And we're back. And we've been joined by Joe. Now, Joe, welcome to the show. Can I get you a juice box or some warm milk, perhaps? Uh, no, thank you, but thanks. Oh, Ovaltine? What? It's from Young Frankenstein. Jeez, watch a movie sometime. Boy, kids today. Okay, so Joe, how did you hear about us? And what made you decide to contact us about your experience? Well, so, I'm... Hmm, well, my sister heard your show. She told me about it and how I needed to talk to you. She's really the only person I've ever told. And so what do you want us to know about you that'll convince our listeners to trust the tale you are about to tell? To be honest, I've doubted even myself for so long. But after my sister Nikki played me your podcast, I knew I had to tell you and that you would believe me. That you had a similar experience and met them and as if by fate, I also have something. Something I'm sure not only proves my story, but will prove that there are objects out there affecting us all. Affecting our reality. Affecting time itself. Well, how about that? Like my dad used to say, you could take the trash out of the trailer, but you can't take the trailer out of the trash. <laughs> well, I'm impressed with you, Joe. Why don't you tell us your story? What do you call it? The, the story? I don't have a name for it. But what I want to tell you about is an event that changed everything. It's the event I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about eternity. All right, then. Here we go, listeners. Eternity. I guess the best place to start was when I was a young boy. I thought I was like everyone else. Uh, I had loving parents, both college professors, and a little sister, Nikki. She was my best friend, and no matter what was happening, I could look at her, she would giggle, and I'd forget my troubles. We were always playing. But then our neighbors started gathering in the street at all times of the day and night. Not to watch a ball game or have a cookout, but for something different. It started out with only a few small groups who'd gather, talking in low whispers. But before long, groups grew large and people began to shout. At that point, we'd also stopped going to school. So Nikki and I spent our days playing. One day, we were playing hide-and-seek in the yard. It was Nikki's turn to find me. I heard her giggling as she looked behind the bushes and underneath the firewood tart. I heard her go around the corner toward the front of the house and figured she'd be back shortly to find me in the crawl space under the storage building. I waited, anticipating the discovery. Nikki would exclaim, I found you, but she never came back. After waiting for what seemed like forever, I crawled out from under the building. After searching the yard, I went to the house, thinking she had gotten bored and went inside. I asked Mom for cookies and milk, and offered to take some to Nikki, thinking that Mom would know where she was. But she didn't know either, and told me I could only have the cookies if I would find Nikki for her. Well, I stomped off to sulk. A little while later, Mom found me in my room, playing my DS, and wanted to know if I had found her. I told her no without even looking up from my game. Mom immediately turned around, calling Nikki's name. Before long, she was running through the house, throwing open doors and looking under beds. Then frantically, she got on the phone, 
first calling dad, then 911, then the police came to the house and asked a lot of questions. Most were directed at mom, but some were to dad and myself. They wanted to know if I had seen anyone take her, and when I said no, they asked me if mom had been upset with her. They searched the house for what seemed like hours and took boxes of Nikki's things. Life after that was a blur. My parents argued all the time. There were long days when we would go out looking for Nikki, putting up flyers and asking everyone if they had seen the little girl in the picture. Sometimes we would all go. Sometimes just mom or dad would go. But then we started hearing about the other kids disappearing. And over time, the disappearances became more and more frequent. As the number of kids in the neighborhood dwindled, my parents seemed to get more and more irritable. I wasn't allowed to play with a few neighborhood kids that were still around, or, or even go outside. One night, Dad scooped me up out of my bed, wrapped in a sheet and a blanket. He put me in the back seat of our car and told me to go back to sleep. In the morning, when I woke up, we were still driving. Dad told me that everything was going to be alright, that I just needed to keep my head down. I asked where Mom was. Dad said she was still looking for Nikki. And then he got real quiet. We only stopped for gas and bathroom breaks. Sometimes I had to sneak into the woods or behind a building instead of using the gas station's restroom. Eventually, we got to the camp. It was a series of small cabins next to a lake. There were several families there with kids like me. The parents watching over us, taking turns, making sure we were never alone. The camp became our home. Living at the camp, I heard many stories about what had happened. An object had been unearthed, not by any excavation team around the pyramids looking for tombs, or an archaeology team in Montana looking for dinosaurs, but by nature. In the Arctic, changes were occurring at an unprecedented rate. The environmental changes the Earth was going through, whether you thought they were caused by man, influenced by man, or just being experienced by man, were real enough. The ice caps were melting. Weather swings were extreme, below 30 one day and above 100 the next. In the heartland of the U.S., earthquakes, violent storms, and extreme temperatures were daily occurrences. The object had been discovered in the Arctic by a weather plane. A glacier had melted, revealing an obelisk with strange symbols on one side. At first, no one could decipher them. Experts from several countries studied the object and the symbols. Over time, an anthropologist out of the Middle East translated the message as, this will change life as you know it. Soon there were articles full of bizarre theories. One was about a group camped outside Area 51 who said the symbols were a message in an alien language about a beacon that would signal their friends and return to take everyone to the planet Sorghum, where they would farm krill and live like royalty. Another article interviewed several churches who said it was a sign of the end of times. The third was an expose about a middle school girl from the Netherlands who hoped it would somehow lead to a solution from, for our environmental troubles. The strangest story described a popular internet rumor claiming the symbols were simply IKEA directions to assemble the object. Several of the theories got a lot of attention from Saturday Night Live. The show ran skits about the object and the various theories. Ratings soared, and the show had a goldmine. But everything changed the day the object was activated. So, 
the information about the activation, sketchy at best, on that day or eternity, as some people call it, began. We heard that a woman in a yellow suit and a man with mirrored sunglasses and a metal briefcase were seen right around the object shortly before the event. Rumors claimed the cameras in the area mysteriously malfunctioned when the couple approached it, and supposedly the cameras were working until the man reached into his briefcase. Someone even claimed to see the man retrieve a glowing object and hold it up towards the symbols etched into the obelisk. Then witnesses testified that the symbols on the side began to glow. But analysis of the security video later showed that distortion masked the event. And then when it cleared, the couple and the obelisk were gone. But what really affected us all was that people weren't aging. Illness was a thing of the past. Life had changed as we knew it, but it didn't take long before the celebration turned into chaos. Even though diseases weren't killing us anymore, people could still die if something external happened to them. Accidents, guns, any kind of violence could do the trick. People went nuts. When they thought they couldn't die, they began to do some really stupid things. It also became evident that even though our bodies weren't aging, our minds still were. And as our minds continued to age, as those of us who looked like children were maturing, our adult population was starting to falter. The other big change was how people could no longer have babies. Women who were pregnant when the event happened still delivered, but no one had been able to conceive a child since. The medical industry had naturally shifted from studying diseases to studying this new problem. About this time, the children began to disappear. First randomly, then systematically. There were even stories of how large groups of children were taken all at the same time. There is a black market for children. Initially, people who couldn't have children were grabbing kids in an effort to fill that void. But then, as people discovered that they could make money off the situation, it became a business. It was an epidemic. The government tried stepping in and rounding up what children they could to protect them. The children were sent to live in resorts. At first, it was with their families, but eventually, only the kids could live in the resorts. This helped me realize when my father had brought me to the camp. He wanted us to stay together. We were in hiding. We lived at the camp for at least 10 years, and even though I still looked like I was seven, I didn't feel it. I could reason logically and debate with my father, and that made it easy for me to manipulate him. Whether I was getting smarter or my father was slowing down, I really couldn't say. I wasn't alone either. The other kids were growing up, noticing the change in themselves and their parents. We formed agreements not to let the parents know about what we were observing. We would often slip out at night, and we formed our own council and used it to correct the camp. Then came the day it all caught up to me. We had been at the camp for about 15 years. I walked into the kitchenette area of our cabin to grab a snack. I stopped cold because I spotted a banana hanger on the counter. Where did that come from? I, I knew it from somewhere. I picked up the object, exploring its sides, which was etched with exotic symbols. Then a, a memory came to me out of nowhere. In the memory, I'm standing in a kitchen, reaching for a banana on the same banana hanger. 
a little girl? No, my sister Nikki was also reaching for a banana. We each grabbed one, pulling them from the hanger like a wishbone. I win, she giggled. I felt lost. I looked down at the banana hanger in my hands. Where had it been, and why was it here now? The symbol seemed to glow. My dad called from outside. I hesitated for just a moment, then ran out the door to talk to him. Where did this banana hanger come from? Dad stammered something, but I quickly interrupted. Where did this come from? I anxiously asked while holding out the banana hanger. Was it Nikki's? It's just that it reminds me of her. And of Mom. My dad said something about seeing them again, but I turned away from him, crying. I'm not a little kid, Dad. I may look seven, but I'm grown up. I... I know what happened. Face it. They aren't coming back. Someone took Nikki, and who knows if we'll see Mom again. I couldn't take it. I tore off towards the woods. I ran and ran, and when I finally stopped to catch my breath, I, I broke down and cried. Why? 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 After a while, I was able to calm down. Still sniffling, I slowly looked around, but I didn't recognize the area. The plant seemed greener and denser somehow, and, and I didn't hear anything. No birds or small animals moving through the underbrush. I didn't feel any breeze, and nor could I smell anything either. In a way, it reminded me of Dorothy stepping into the land of Oz. A very visual experience, but my other senses seemed to be excluded. I heard someone walking up behind me and turned. An attractive young woman and an older man carrying a metal briefcase and wearing mirrored sunglasses were walking toward me. Who are you? What do you want? I snarled as they got closer. I looked down and realized the banana hanger was still in my hand. The symbols were glowing brightly now. It was heavy and hot. It seemed to vibrate. I hated the hanger. It was the cause of everything bad in my life. The man opened the briefcase and removed a coin. It was also glowing. Then the symbols on the banana hanger slowly began to transform into words before my eyes. This will change. The next thing I remember was waking up in the woods. I had no idea how long it had been. I, w I wasn't even sure where I was. I looked around, but didn't see anyone. Should I see someone? I felt like I should. I did hear something, though. It was giggling? It sounded familiar, but I couldn't quite place it. I got up to follow the sound, and after a few minutes, I saw a building. It's a storage building. As I got closer, I recognized it. It was Dad's storage building. What was I doing back here? Surely the building wouldn't be in such good condition. It had been... What, 15 years? It looked like it was recently painted. There was that giggling again. Nikki? I ran by the building to find my sister looking under the firewood tarp. When she saw me, she exclaimed, I found you! Crying, I, I ran back to my sister and hugged her. I was seven again. I had my family, and everything seemed to go back to normal. I never saw the banana hanger again, but every now and then I hear a story or see an object that brings it all back like it was yesterday. I'm 22 now, and what happened to me was real, and similar things are happening to others. 
I heard your story about the bowling alley and thought you of all people would understand. Tell me you believe. Wow, what a story, Joe. Quite vivid. So this eternity event happened when you were seven? And then that was, what, 15 years ago? I must admit, I don't remember ever hearing anything about it. I get that. Neither Nikki nor my parents, nor anyone else for that matter, remember any of this. I can't find any reference to it in the news or other media. And to be honest, you are the first person I've told about this since it happened. Well, except for Nikki. I heard your story about the bowling alley and thought you, of all people, would understand. Tell me you believe. Certainly I can understand, and I believe you. But what convinced you that it it wasn't a dream? This. That's a a mood ring? Yes. And and where did you get it? I'm afraid that's a story for another time. But first I need to locate a coin. A a two-headed coin with 1943 on one side and 1960 on the other. Once I have it, I'll be back. A a two-headed... Like Sheriff Marshall's? Why? I I think it will make this ring glow. You said you wanted proof. Well, now that's what we're talking about. It's time for action. It's like my dad used to say. Stop quoting me and get on with it. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Okay, then. That's our third episode of Space Croutons. A round of applause for our guest. Joe, glad you could be here. And remember, if you have a strange story to tell, we want to hear it. Thanks for listening, everybody, and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. What if planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey? And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Sigourney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's space crew talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple Q. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add space crew for lunch. With Neil Diamond Lucy in the sky I love Neil Diamond Lucy in the sky No, not Neil Diamond With Space Croutons Space Croutons is a work of original fiction Similarities to persons, situations, and events Real or fictional is coincidental and unintentional Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson Episode 3, Story and Recording by Jerry Original music and production by Jeff Featuring the voice talents of Jace and Jeff Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch Audio production.